The title of, of uh, the sermon is Looking for Hope. And uh, I got our scripture out of limitations and says, Yet this I call to mind, and before I have hope. And therefore I have hope, because the Lord, great love, we are not consumed, for his compassion never fails. They are, they are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. And uh, I've just reminded of how much God loves us and the things God's been doing in my life, and I know he's been doing a lot of your, your guys' lives too, about uh, changing your perception of what love looks like. So today what I'm going to talk about is what the love of God looks like through his eyes, through the eyes of Scripture, and uh, through some of the things that he's taken me through in my life. So I just want to share these things with you because <clears throat> I just really feel that they're, they're real important. And I think right now that we're, we're living in a world right now that has little hope. Uh, because every time someone makes a mistake, every time someone stumbles and falls, the world's there to condemn us, to criticize us and to ridicule us. And it doesn't matter what the mistake was. It doesn't matter what it is. Somebody's there to point a finger at you. And so uh, <clears throat> it seems that no one uh, wants to help anymore. Right. Uh, we live in a world that uh, is divided. You know, they've been talking about this for months. You know, we're divided over vaccines, no vaccine, mask, no mask. You know, stupid stuff like that. It, it's dividing people, and it's divisive because we've let the enemy step in and uh, instill fear in us. And that's what's happened. Because <clears throat> what I've seen is, is this is not nationally. This is global. And this is something that the enemy's been working at for a long time. And he's doing a very good job of instilling fear. What happens when he instills fear is this. He creates division, right? In the military, what happens in the military, they teach you to divide and conquer. You divide the enemy so they're in smaller groups and you conquer. Well, this is what the enemy's doing right now. He's conquering because we're allowing him to. We're allowing him to instill fear inside of each and every one of us. But God, right? The one who overcame. The one who overcame the world. He, he's not afraid. He's not afraid of anything. So when you live your life for him, uh, he, be late, he behaves a little differently than the world does, right? He's always ready to pick us up and to set us back on a different path if we're willing to follow him. God has called us to live differently than the world does. God has called us to love with a love that is not our own. A love that only comes from the Father. This type of love is the only thing that gives true hope. Uh, God's been speaking to me for many years about his love, <clears throat> excuse me, and it's what his love looks like. And every time I start to get a little bit self-centered, and I do, because we're all selfish, right? We all want what we want. Uh, every time I start to get that way, he says, Jeff, no, this is not the way you're supposed to walk. And he recenters me on Jesus. So I'm no longer self-centered, but I'm re-centered on Christ. And as I start to do that, I start to see things differently. I start to see things the way he sees them. 
And uh, when you do that, everything looks different. Nothing looks the same anymore when you start looking uh, at the world through the eyes of the Father. <clears throat> I asked God at that time to show me what his love looks like because I wanted to see the things that he sees. And I'm going to tell you, the Lord honored that, and it broke my heart. Because the Lord sees the broken world. And when I see people now that don't know the Lord, or even some people that do know the Lord that aren't walking with the Lord, that aren't doing what he's called them to do, or people that just don't even know him, I, I grieve inside of me, and I say, God, what is that? Why am I grieving for these people? He says, because you're seeing things the way that I see them. He says, that's what I do. I grieve for people. I grieve because they don't know me. They don't know my love. So if you want your life to change, if you want uh, to be undone in the Lord, ask that, pray that prayer. Ask him to, that you can see things and see the world and see the people the way that he sees them. Because it doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter. That love is no greater for me than it is for any of you. It's the same, and it's unbelievable. <clears throat> I have uh, six children that have lived in my home. And only one of them is my biological child. And I have loved them the same. Every one of them. I have never favored my biological daughter over any of the rest of my children. And that is a miracle in itself. And, and, and I didn't know where that came from until the Lord started to speak into me and started to show me the love that he has. And, and, and he goes, I want you to understand that this is a comparison in your family to how I love you and everyone around you. This is what I do. I pour out my love equally to each and every one of you. I show no partiality to anyone. I love you all the same. And so that's what I learned to do. And I know Shelley talked about this last week, but God's all about the transformation of the mind. And uh, <clears throat> he wants us to stop thinking like the world thinks. And he wants us to start thinking kingdom thoughts. Romans 12, 2. You guys just already been through this last week. But, you know, I think that I've already had this down for like a couple weeks. So I think Shelly sold it off of me. But that's okay. <clears throat> but that's okay. I, I think when God does something like this, this, this is, a, he's trying to get a point across, right? He wants us to understand that he's talking specifically to each and every one of us, right? He says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of the mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Uh, I think that we need to understand, and we don't understand this right now, <clears throat> because we think that God does everything for us, and... Uh, because it's my job to transform my mind. It's, it's not God's job to do that. Right? He, he, he calls us to do that. And, and how do we do that? What's that look like in our life? 
I've read a book <coughs> from a, an author named Caroline Leaf, and I know several of you have read, this, read some of her books, and she uh, does a neuroscience thing, and she deals with post-traumatic stress syndrome and uh, traumatic brain injuries and all this type of stuff, and she helps people to heal because of the things inside the brain. And she talks a lot about uh, memories that are healthy and memories that are toxic. And uh, this is part, and she, she's a Christian, and she references things to scriptures all the time. So one of the things that she talks about is, is these memories that are inside your brain, they're called, uh, they're, there's this actual formation of things inside your brain, it's called a dendrite. And uh, it grows inside of your brain, and it's a memory, and it looks like a tree. And they're microscopic. I've seen some pictures of them, they look pretty cool. Uh, but there's two different memories. There's a toxic memory and there's a healthy memory. And uh, the healthy memory looks like a beautiful flourishing tree. The toxic memory looks like a nasty old bush. And it actually looks like that. But when people have toxic thoughts inside of them uh, and you feed those toxic thoughts, that means you think about them over and over and over again. That's a post-traumatic stress syndrome. That's what people do. This is why people get totally consumed and paralyzed with things with the post-traumatic stress, right? It's because they can't stop reliving this in their mind. And as they do that, this toxic memory gets bigger and bigger and bigger, and it overshadows the healthy thoughts, overshadows the, the healthy memories. Well, how do we get past that? And she talks about that. She talks about renewing the mind. And the way that we renew our mind is this. We put the Word of God in there. Every time Satan tries to put something else inside of there, you say, no, this is what God said. This is God's word. This is who I am. This is what I look like, right? And as we do that, she says these healthy thoughts and memories start to grow, and they get bigger and bigger, and then they overshadow the toxic thoughts, and those toxic thoughts start to disappear until eventually they're no longer there. And the only way that they're there is if you feed them. So you can't feed them. This is what God's talking about with the transformation of the mind. Change the way we think. Think kingdom thoughts. What do kingdom thoughts look like? There's no murder in heaven. There's no sickness. There's no jealousy. There's no hatred. There's no stealing. There's no death. There's none of that. So we're called to think kingdom thoughts. How did Jesus teach his disciples to pray? Let your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. We need to understand. We need to, to take that word apart and say, what, what's that mean? Let your kingdom come. We're supposed to call the kingdom of heaven down on earth right now. We're supposed to be living and walking in that. And what's that look like? Or are we walking in fear? Are we walking as the world walks? You see, each and every one of you are called to be the light. You're salt to this world. You're called to be that. You're not called, you're not called to uh, take the temperature of the room to be a thermometer. You're called to set the temperature. You're called to be a thermostat. When you walk into a room, people need to know that something has just changed. The atmosphere has just changed because the presence of the Holy Spirit is upon you. He needs to feel comfortable on you. <clears throat> So, basically, we need to align ourselves with the way God thinks, understanding the love of God and what that love looks like. 
I want to first look at the uh, love of God looks, looks like through the eyes of Scripture and through some of my experiences. Uh, the uh, uh, dictionary describes, uh, you, we've all heard agape, right? Agape, right? The dictionary describes agape as a Christian term referring to an unconditional love, the highest form of love, charity, and love of God for man and man for God. Unconditional love. What does that unconditional love look like? There's no conditions. You don't have to jump through hoops. You don't have to perform. You don't have to do anything except accept that love. And it's totally unconditional. doesn't matter what you've done. doesn't matter where you're walking right now. It's unconditional. Never, ever to change. Because this is what God tells us. And God says, I'm not a man that I should lie. Right? So we need to believe what he's telling us. I want to look at uh, this unconditional love. Oop, that's a little small, isn't it? <laughs> Wait a minute. Let me back that up. I'm going to back it up for me because I'm going to talk about something else first. Uh, John 8, uh, verses 3 through 11 I'm not, I didn't put those up, I just want to talk about this real quick, but uh, this talks about the woman caught in adultery. The Pharisees wanted uh, her stoned to death because that was the Mosaic law. That law was passed down from Moses. And so uh, they brought this, brought this lady to Jesus and they wanted to test him. They wanted to see if they could trap him in, a, in some sort of a trap to, so they could kill him. And as they uh, came to him, they started questioning him, the Pharisees and the scribes. Uh, they told him what she had done. And Jesus bent down in the dirt, and he started writing in the dirt. And, they, and he didn't answer them. He's like ignoring them. And then uh, they continued on asking him. And he stopped, and he stood up, and he said, uh, Of those among you who have not sinned, cast the first stone. And then he bent back down and started writing in the dirt again with his finger. And uh, one by one, the scripture says, one by one, from the oldest to the least, it says, they dropped their stones and they walked away. After everyone left, uh, Jesus said, woman, where are your accusers? Has no one condemned you? She said, no one, Lord. And Jesus said to her, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Wow. You know, <clears throat> that love right there is amazing. So why didn't he condemn her? See, in John 3, 17, it says, I did not come to condemn the world, but to save it. So he meant what he said. And it's this love that he's showing. Uh, he loves us so much because what he said to her was go and sin no more. Your sins are forgiven. He forgave her sins. Go and sin no more. See, <clears throat> Jesus loves us so much that he won't leave us in our dysfunction. Right? It's like this thing gnawing inside of you sometime when you do something that you shouldn't be doing. You know it's the Holy Spirit speaking to you change your behavior, change the way that you act, right? 
And so as we do that, it's, and we have a choice. We can choose to uh, continue to do that or choose to do what he's told us to do. But it's still our choice. I mean, that's how much he loves us. He, he wants us to, he doesn't want us to be robots. He wants us to make the choice and make the decision for ourselves. And he's not about condemnation. He's not about condemning us. He's about this love and this love that's transformational. It transforms people and it compels people to do the things that he's called them to do. Everything that Jesus did represented the Father's heart. Oh, he did it so well. He represented his heart and how the kingdom actually operates. So if you want to know what the kingdom of heaven is like, read the words in red in your scripture. Jesus. Right? And the scriptures don't tell us how this woman behaved after the fact. <coughs> Excuse me. <coughs> but you can rest assured that she never experienced this type of radical love before. I guarantee you she didn't. Just by gazing in his eyes, I can only imagine what was going on inside of her heart. And I can only imagine that her life was changed forever. And it doesn't matter if it's adultery. It doesn't matter if it's stealing. It doesn't matter what it is. Don't get caught up in that. Because God is all-encompassing of everyone and every, everything that you've done. He knows. And he's forgiving. And he's not condemning you. If he did, he would have condemned that woman. He would have let them stone her. Right? He didn't let them stone her. I want to go to Luke 15 now. And this is, uh, we all know this story. It's about the prodigal son. And this, uh, this, has, uh, this story has a really special place in my heart because of, uh, you know, a lot of people, I've heard a lot of sermons preached about how this talks about the prodigal son and his wayward ways and the things that he's done and uh, how he, you know, finally realized what he's done wrong and come back to the father and all that. And uh, w the scripture has always spoken to me about the, the heart of the father, how he loved the son. And that he never gave up on him. And this represents what the Father thinks about us, each and every one of us. So uh, I, what I want to do is I didn't want to do the whole things. Uh, so I wanted to take this up at uh, verse 18. And this is where the son is processing in his mind of the story he's going to tell his father. Because he's going to come back home. Because he's been eating pig slop and everything else. And he's starving to death, has no place to sleep. And he's a filthy mess. And he, and, he, and he was always fed and taken care of when he was at home. <clears throat> it said, I will arise and go to my father and will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. And I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But when he is still a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion. And he ran and fell on his neck and he kissed him. And the son said, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight, and am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to the servant, Bring out the best robe 
and put, on, put it on him and put on a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet and bring the fatted calf and kill it. That's eat and be merry. And <clears throat> this is what I wanted to talk about in this verse about the father's love. Because he, the father saw the son coming from a long way off and who knows how long he'd been gone. But rest assured, the father was looking every single day down the road, across the field, wherever he could look, watching and looking for his son. He never stopped looking for his son to come home. So that's what God does with us. Because a lot of times we'll pull away or people that haven't even received the Lord. And he's looking, watching, waiting, and his heart is aching for each and every one of us to come home. And then when he said, bring out the best robe. As I looked this up and, and did some studying on it, <clears throat> uh, that, that represents, the robe represents his position and the family has been restored. Just because he came home. And you notice what he, when he was talking and when he was trying to give his explanation that he spent however long trying to make up, right? The father wasn't even listening to him. He could care less what he had to say. All he, was, all he wanted was his son home. And he was so happy to see him home that he hugged him and kissed his neck. And he didn't care what he'd done or he didn't care how he smelled, how he looked. He didn't care that he was beat up. He didn't care that he was in these dire straits and was thinking of all this stuff to say. It didn't ma matter to him because of his love and affection that he has for the son. And the ring, the ring signifies great affection. And the fatted calf, killing the fatted calf, is a celebration out of the ordinary. So we're having a celebration out of the ordinary because my son is home. Right? What do you think that he does to each and every one of us in heaven? There's a celebration going on. It, and it doesn't matter if you're falling away from the Lord or, or what. He doesn't care. He's just watching and waiting for you to come home. Uh, this is, uh, <clears throat> excuse me. This is Jeff being <clears throat> a little vulnerable because I have a wayward son. And uh, I do wait. I do watch. I have a... Uh, <clears throat> gravel driveway and anytime somebody pulls into it you can hear the car you can hear the vehicle driving on the gravel and every time I do I look up to see if it's my son coming home so I know how how he feels and I know what my son's done but it doesn't matter it doesn't matter because I will not allow uh, circumstances and situations to stand between my love for my son and our relationship. I will not allow it. Those are choices that I make. Some people are okay with, with doing things like that and writing kids out of the wills and out of the family and stuff. I'm not. Because that's not God's way. That's not, that's not the Father's heart. 
See, when we make poor decisions or huge mistakes even, God's love is waiting there to run us down and kiss us on our neck and pour out his extravagant love on us. He's not holding back. God's love is unconditional. And that means if we miss the mark, he doesn't condemn us. If we do things that are wrong, he doesn't condemn us. He doesn't shame us. Although sometimes we fall into shame because we've let people down or disappointed them. But God says there's no condemnation in Christ. He doesn't condemn us. He's not condemning us. Why are we condemning ourselves when we failed? He's there. And he says, no, I'm not condemning you. And God will never, never, never withdraw his love from you. Ever. And it doesn't matter how far you've fallen. So I really think that what God's trying to get, this, this message God's trying to get uh, to you guys today is, is that uh, if we fall down, don't, don't retreat into the shadows. If we make mistakes, don't go hide at home. If we do what we're not supposed to do, stand up, come in. God's always waiting there for you, always waiting, always wanting to spend time with you, always wanting to talk to you. Did you hear what, he, did you hear what the father did at the prodigal son? He, he didn't say, you just took all this inheritance I gave you and you spent every bit of it on whatever you spent it on, right? Did he do that? No, God doesn't do that either. This is, a, this is a story is in the scriptures for a reason because it teaches us how the Father's heart actually is. And that, and that love, when he says it's unconditional, that means unconditional, no conditions. He's always there to lift us up and put us back on the path, right? He's there to dust us off, pick us up and dust our pants off with the dirt and say, Jeff, that didn't work so well for you. How are we going to do it different next time? He's not up there with the bony finger saying, you screwed up again. He doesn't do that. See, I still, that was my perception of the Lord for a long time because that was what I was around when I grew up. When I screwed up, I got a finger in my face or a belt. So... As a father tries to convey, convey his love, we need to, I think sometimes we just need to sit back and reflect what, it, what that love looks like. Because, you know, when we withdraw from people because we have shame, because we've made a mistake, that does nobody any good except for the enemy. You've allowed the enemy to win. So he doesn't want to shame you. And, and I don't care what you've done. I don't, you know, it's like, look at Moses. Moses killed a man. Look at David. Look at David did. I mean, we don't throw the baby out with the bathwater, right? So that means we're not taking everything that Moses did good and throw it out because he did something bad, right? right? He killed a man. But we don't disregard everything else that he did. Jeremiah 29, 11, one of my favorite verses. 
For I know the thoughts I have towards you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not evil, to give you a future and a hope. There's that word, hope. He wants, us to, give, he wants to give us hope. How many of you have lost hope in one thing or another? I know I have. I see the way the world's behaving and acting, and I've lost hope. And I'm like, oh my gosh, how can people think like that? It's like, where have you gone? Where have you been? And I'm going to tell you where. They're listening to the news. Stop listening to the news. I used to listen to the news all the time. I do some now, but I try to keep up on current events, what's going on. But I don't listen to the news like I used to. If you want something, you want to put something inside of you, put the Word of God inside of you, because what goes inside of you is exactly what comes out of you. And, and if the media is instilling fear in you, that's what's going to come out of you, fear. Whoa. That was pretty good. <laughs> so as I, as I, you know, am praying to the Lord about this, uh, God says to, to follow me and press into me, and I will reveal the plans I have towards you. God's on our side. He's not against us. He's for us, right? God looks at us through the lens of Jesus and his blood that paid for everything, nothing left undone. It's like wearing the rose-colored glasses. These lenses right here have the blood of Jesus on them, and this is how he looks at each and every one of us, through that blood. Everything done. When God looks at us, he doesn't see a work in progress, like some of us say, oh, I'm a work in progress, right? <laughs> or a complete failure. I'm a complete failure. Or someone that can't seem to just get it right. I screw up all the time. I make one mistake after that. Next. Anybody feel like that? Yeah. We do. No. He sees the completed work. You're perfect without a blemish or a wrinkle. He sees you with no sin because you've accepted his son, Jesus, as your savior. How, how's that possible? How's that even possible that he could do that? There's some things that God's, God does that we can't wrap our mind around. You know, when he says that I don't see the sin on you, because I'm looking through the blood of Jesus, that, that doesn't make sense to me sometimes. I don't understand that. It's just like the Trinity. How do I make sense of the Trinity, the three in one? I, I don't have answers to all that. I just know that when I go to heaven, I'm, I, hopefully I'll find out some of the things that are going on that I have answers to or questions about. So there's just some things that we just don't know why, but we just have to understand when the scripture tells us this thing, we have to, to kind of embrace it and believe it. God's always working behind the scenes on our behalf. Uh, you know, always, always has our best interests at heart. My question to you is this, is uh, are we, represent, are we representing God's love to the people around us? Because Jesus came here and did what he did as the example to each and every one of us, right? Jesus said, I didn't come to be served. I came to serve. 
Are we doing that? Do each and every one of you have a servant's heart? Because that's what he wants. He's called us to be servants. So are we, are we doing that? <clears throat> are we God? Are we being Jesus to people around us? Or are we quick to condemn? Do we punish or hold our love from people when they let us down? I've been guilty. I've been guilty of withholding my love. I have. And that's because uh, I was ignorant of God's ways. I'm slowly but surely changing. And I'm slowly but surely getting the word of God inside of me that says I should never ever withdraw my love from anyone because they've hurt me. And the Lord knows I've been hurt many times. I've, have, I've walked through many pains. So I have to, just like my son, my son has hurt me. I'm not withdrawing my love from him. I'll never withdraw my love from him. Or do we come alongside someone and say, how can I help? What can I do to help you? I see that you're in dire straits. I see that you're having a problem. What can I do to help you? You know, Danny Silk talks all the time about uh, keeping our love on. Awesome. If you guys have never read Danny Silk's books, you need to. Uh, but one of the big things that you need to remember is my responsibility. Just like the transformation of the mind, it's my responsibility to keep my love on. It doesn't matter what anybody says to me. It doesn't matter what anybody does to me. It's still my choice. I, I make a decision to be mad uh, turn off my love or to love. I make that choice. <clears throat> when I keep my love on, people can tell that I care. They know. They know if you care or not. One thing I found is, is that if people don't think that you love them, uh, they're not going to be willing to open up and share what's inside of them. So if you honestly and genuinely love someone, they're going to they're gonna be more apt to share what's going on inside of them when there's a problem. And then you can offer help. You've heard the saying that's, that says, uh, uh, no one cares how much you know they only, until they know how much you care. They don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. When you care about someone, when you love someone unconditionally, when you walk alongside of someone, when they're in pain and struggling, no matter what it is, and you say, brother or sister, I'm not going to leave you. I'm going to be here with you walking through this. Then they're more likely to be vulnerable with you, share things with you, and allow you to love on them and allow you to speak truth into their life. That's the way God is, right? The closer the relationship we have with the Father, the more that we love him, and the, and the more we love him and start spending time with him and allow him to love on us, he's going to start speaking truth into us. He's going to start changing us. And that's what we need. Because there's none of us that aren't without an issue. Nobody. We all have issues. It doesn't matter what it is. <clears throat> First John 4.18 there's no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear because fear involves torment. 
but he who fears has not been made perfect in love. Hmm. Fear, torment. God is not a God of fear and torment. He's a God of peace and love. So that's why he wants to cast out this fear inside of us. That's why I said stop listening to the media. Stop receiving. Because the answer to that, the alternative to that is God. You know, see, every time Satan pours something out on this world, God trumps it with something bigger. So you can rest assured there's something huge coming. I guarantee you right now, there's something big coming. Coming. Don't know what it is, but I can guarantee you God's not sitting back, you know, oh gosh, I don't know what I'm going to do. He knows exactly what he's going to do. And <clears throat> I want you to understand too, there's no battle against good and evil. There is no battle against good and evil. Evil has no leg to stand on, period. Satan is no threat to God. Never has been, never will be. He was created by God. So when, when I hear that, it's like, oh my gosh, there's another deception, another lie that people believe, that this is a battle between good and evil. It's not. It's not a battle between good and evil. Do we work to cast out fear in our relationships? Do we provide a safe place? Or are we walking on pins and needles in our house? See, God says his perfect love cast out fear. So how are we loving in our home? Are we loving to, to cast out any fear? Or when we come home, are we afraid to come home because we don't want to get in an argument? Well, I don't want to do that again. Or do we stop at the bar somewhere because I don't want to go home? Right? Your home is your castle. Your home is supposed to be your safe place. Your home says, this is where I walk into and I feel safe. Because all fear has been cast out. And there's nothing that exists in here except for your love. The love of the Father. I can't tell you how many people have walked into our house and said, I just feel such peace when I walk in there. Well, you know, we pray over a house all the time. But I'm not going to tell you that we're perfect. We argue all the time. We do. <laughs> we have conflict in our home. But we walk through the conflict. We deal with it. Right? We don't let it linger. So... When I'm coming home from work, I'm not going to be worried about having my head bit off because I've done something wrong. What's it look like in your home? What does it look like inside of your home when you come home? When someone makes a mistake, do you provide a safe place to fail in your home? We didn't used to until we knew how God called us to change our lives and we started changing the things and the way that we behave. So when you don't provide a safe place to fail, here's what happens, especially if you're dealing with children, they'll do stuff behind your back, right? They'll go out the bedroom window at night. If they don't feel like they can talk to you, 
and not be beat up for telling you how they're feeling inside and what's going on inside of them. They need to be able to do that without the fear of retribution of punishment. And, and I was the same way. I did that to my kids because that was done to me. I was ignorant of the way God's called us to, to live our life. So now you are no longer ignorant because you know God's way. So there's no excuse here. Everyone knows how you're supposed to treat your children. So <clears throat> this doesn't always mean a safe place in the family, but it's our friends and it's our coworkers where we work, right? When people let us down and they hurt us. I've heard countless stories about how <clears throat> issues at work, I mean, Tina was sharing one thing earlier today and with, with the prophetic team and it's like, I yeah, get it, kind of crazy. But if you provide a safe place to fail, uh, people know that, they see that love and they start to change their behavior. <clears throat> God has not only called us to love him, but to love others. 1 Peter 8, 9 says, And above all things, have fervent love for one another, for love will cover a multitude of sins. Do we do this? Do we love others well? See, this is how God feels about love and loving each other. 1 John 4, 20 through 21. If someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he sees, how can he love God whom he has not seen? And this commandment we have from him that he who loves God must love his brother also. Who's my brother? It's not my biological brother. It's not what he's talking about. You guys, my brothers and sisters. I have to love each and every one of you. And you're called to love each and every one of us. Everyone. That's what we're called to do. That's who my brother is. It's kind of like that neighbor thing. Who's my neighbor? Right? It's not your next door neighbor. It's the people in your sphere, your, your influence. Who's, who are you around all the time? Those are your neighbors. God's love is deep, but it's also wide. It has to be to encompass the whole human race. It has to be wide. I have people say to me from time to time, let me get me another drink here. I have people say to me from time to time that uh, <clears throat> I want the deep stuff of God. I want the deep things, and I can't find it anywhere. Heck, I've said that before because I've been looking for something more from God. And God spoke to me as I was asking the same question. And he said, there's nothing deeper than understanding and knowing my love. Nothing deeper. Because God is love. This is who he is. We all know this. We should all know this by heart. 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 8. Says, love suffers long and is kind. Love does not envy. Love does not parade itself. Is not puffed up. Love does not behave rudely, does not seek its own, is not provoked, thinks no evil, does not rejoice in iniquity, 
but rejoices in truth, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. This is how God loves us. His love never fails us. <clears throat> so, how are we loving our brothers and sisters? How are we loving each other? Our family and our friends. How are we doing with this? You know, I can, I'll be the first to tell you that there's times that I felt miserably at it because I've been impatient. I've been rude to my loved ones, to the ones. Why is it that we're the rudest and meanest to the ones that are closest to us? We are. We, we would, we, some of the things we say to our spouses or our kids or something, we wouldn't say to a stranger. So what, why is that okay? It's not okay. So we have to check our heart. And, and you know, it's like behaving rudely. And the, I can't even tell you how many times I've had to apologize because I've behaved rudely. Because <clears throat> the scriptures tell us that the, the flesh is always battling with the spirit and the spirit is always battling with the flesh, right? So I still have that battle. Every one of us has that battle. And we're continuing to deal with it. We will never see increase in the things of God until we learn to steward what he's already given us. We want more from God. Steward this love well. When you steward this love well and do what he says, you're going to see increase in things. As we manage this life and navigate this life, we need to understand what is important. It's not our job. It's not our home. It's the people in our lives. It's the people in our lives that's important. And if we lose sight of that, then we lose sight of what God's love has called us to do because it's all-encompassing. His love is just like, hmm, I want you to love everyone, right? He wants you to, his word says, I want you to honor all men. He wants us to love all men. That, and that term, when it says men, it means men and women. And what's that looking like in our lives? Sometimes we have to step back and do a, 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 an analysis of what's going on inside my life and inside my heart. How am I loving? Am I loving well or am I not? And I can tell you again, I've, there's times I've failed miserably. I'm trying to be vulnerable with you guys because <clears throat> just because I'm standing up here, I'm not perfect. I've failed many times. But God still uses me like he uses Moses and David, Samuel, all of those. He used them all. And none of them were perfect. God didn't invent love. He is love. <laughs> it's in his nature and he will never, ever change. He'll always be that way. How many of us is, uh, would give our sons for someone not yet born? I don't think any of us would. 
He did. Why? I'm going to tell you why. John 15, 13. Greater love has no one than this that has to lay down one's life for his friend. Hmm. How many of you would do that? How many of you would lay down your life for a friend? Some of you would. Some of you would take a bullet for someone else. But some of you wouldn't. Some of you would give your son for someone born in 2,000 years. Most of you wouldn't. I don't think I would. Are we getting it yet? Are we understanding what that love actually looks like? Love is sacrificial. Love always seeks the greater good and love always attempts to understand. I tell this to people all the time. If you truly and honestly love, you will close your mouth and listen. Because it always seeks to understand what's going on inside of someone's heart. If you tell me what's going on inside your heart, I mean, I, I, just need to, I just need to learn how to be a good listener. And as I listen to what's going on in someone's heart, maybe I've already walked through this. Maybe I can help or maybe I can't. And maybe I can send them to someone who can help them, whatever they're going through. Love allows you to see the good in other people. Because we can all see the dirt on people. Right? We talk about this all the time in the prophetic. Is that anybody can see the dirt. I can see the dirt walking and Anybody walking in. What's going on inside of I can see it. But we're not called to see that. We're called to see the gold inside of people and dig that out. The prophetic is, is, is like it's an offshoot of God's love. He's called us to love people and encourage them and lift them up and speak life and truth into them. This is how I see you, says God. I see you as complete. Nothing lacking. So those of you that are downtrodden and think that there's, you know, life is there to beat you up. Because, well, it will, if you allow it. But you always have to interject, but God... But God, but God, but God says this about me. I know the plans I have for you to prosper you, not to harm you, to bring you hope. That's what God says. So that's what I'm believing. That's how I'm transforming my mind. I'm believing that. And I'm speaking that to myself all the time. So why? So those dendrites in my brain start getting bigger and bigger. Those healthy thoughts. Not the, not the tiny ones, not the tiny toxic ones. I don't want those in my head. Love calls out destiny, gifts, and abilities. It brings hope. Right? We don't have hope sometimes. Love truly is sacrificial. And love doesn't mean that I must agree with everything that you say or your behavior. That's, that doesn't mean that. <clears throat> I can still see your behavior... And if it's bad, that doesn't mean I'm going to withdraw my love from you. You know, we just talked about withdrawing our love from people. And we do that a lot in our families. We do that to our children sometimes, or we do it to, to our friends. You know, there, I, I had uh, all these girls in my house, and there was a ton of drama. Lots of drama with girls. 
So and I see uh, we're friends one day, the next day we're not, next day we're friends again, it's back and forth. It's just like, oh my gosh, this, is, this must be painful for you guys. <laughs> right? <laughs> so I, 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 I get it. I, I, I do. <laughs> I also wanted to tell you this. Love is not a feeling. It's a choice. I choose to do 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 8. I choose to love. No matter what you've done to me. And when people get together, they say things like, oh, I love my car. I love steak. Mm. I do. Steak, french fries. <laughs> Two food groups that I eat. That's it right there, steak and french fries. <laughs> you know, we say things like that, but, and, and we say them so often that they're, they're, they don't mean anything. When we say love, it, it detracts from what love actually means, right? Because that's not what God talks about, love. Because as a, just like the song we listened to this morning, love has a name. It's Jesus. Love has a name, and it's Jesus. I want to talk to you a minute about uh, honor. Because love and honor are so closely knitted together uh, and intertwined that they sometimes are indistinguishable. The kingdom of heaven operates on the principle of love and honor. So it's important that we apply this in our life. Love and honor shares several attributes like being selfless, putting others and their needs before our own, sacrificing time and money. <clears throat> I wanted to ask, since they're not here right now, how do we honor and love our spiritual leaders, pastors, uh, Eric, Tom, and Shelley? How, how are we doing at loving them? You know, I preached about a year ago on honor, and I talked about honor uh, our government officials. I talked about honor of, in our home, and I talked about honor of our spiritual leaders. And I gave you all this information about how the Lord feels about loving and honoring our spiritual leaders. So how, how are we doing at that? Are you guys doing good at that? First Timothy 5.17 Let the elders who rule well be counted worthy of double honor. Not just honor, but double honor. Especially those who labor in the word and doctrine. For the scripture says you shall not muzzle an ox while it treads out the grain. And the laborer is worth his wages. We're to give ministers of the gospel twice as much honor as our other leaders. That means twice as much honor as our uh, government officials and our local government. We're supposed to give them twice as much honor. <clears throat> and sometimes, you know, as we ask ourselves, how can we do this? 
and it's like the the way that we treat them how do, how do we honor our pastors who labor who work very hard our, you know our pastors work, work really hard out throughout the week to to make service come together uh, because it's about excellence for the lord their desire is to serve the lord with excellence uh, they don't only work on the service they counsel people they disciple they visit the sick they minister to the uh, to the youth shall i spent countless hours with you guys countless hours uh devising teaching material i know alex and kate do the same thing you know you, you're, you're spending time doing this things you're s- s- sacrificing But how do we honor? How are we honoring them? See, God put them in a position of authority in this house. God put them in this house. When we dishonor them, we dishonor God. It's plain and simple. Because God's put them there. And, and I don't want to be responsible for that. I don't, I don't want God saying something like that to me, that you've dishonored my my leaders that I've placed in, your, in the house over you because we all follow, fall under some sort of authority. And if you refuse that authority, then you've refused the oracles of the Father, of God. Do we dishonor them by showing up late for appointments? We have an appointment with them and, or we cancel at the last minute. My appointment's at 12 o'clock and I cancel at 11.55 when they're sitting there waiting on me. Hmm. <clears throat> or do we even do that by coming in late to church? Like I said, they work very hard to put these together, these services together. Do we complain about what they did or didn't do right? Or do we say things like, I could have done that better? You know, the message that's brought forth every week <clears throat> is inspired by God. These are things that are prayed about. And they're inspired by God. And it's really important that we know that and that we receive these words because God is dealing with each and every one of us in this house at this time with something. Each and every one of us. So that's why he's revealing what he reveals to the pastors or whoever's bringing the message. So that's what they deal with. It's just like today, the, the father's heart, his love. What does it look like? He's not here to shame anybody. He's not here to run anybody off. He's here to encounter you. He's here to fall on your neck and to kiss you and to love you and let you know that you are his beloved. That's, what he's, that's the message he wants to get to you today. So my question is, on this honor, how do you think we can honor our pastors? Well, funny you mention that. Because <laughs> next month, it's Pastor Appreciation Month. So what I, I, I'm just asking each one of you guys just to pray about it and say, hey, God, what can I do that will knock their socks off, that will bless them? What can I do? It could be anything. You know, but we're going to be taking up offering for them. For the next couple of weeks, we're going to be taking up offering. And so it's, it's important that uh, you pray about this, but... Just be led by the Spirit and don't say, oh, no, I can't give that much. It's like, well, if God tells you to, he's going to take care of you. If he empties your bank account, he's going to fill it back up. 
because God has no lack. The kingdom of heaven has no lack. And if you're his son or his daughter, you have no lack. So, action plan. Examine my heart. Am I loving and honoring well family, friends, and coworkers? Second Corinthians, or 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 8. Use these verses as a guide and a standard for your behavior. Am I loving well? How is my behavior? Am I rude? Am I arrogant? Am I self-seeking? Am I self-centered? What am I? Number three, make it a point in my life to show love and honor to our spiritual leaders. They are worthy of double honor. Well, I hope that this word spoke to you. I, I, I hope that God has done something inside of you like he's done inside of me. Because I can tell you that uh, this love thing, it's hard. It's hard to love people that are sometimes unlovable. They're stinky, they're smelly, they make messes and all this type of stuff, right? <clears throat> but I can tell you right now the rewards far uh, outweigh anything else of loving because my reward is not here on earth. My reward is in heaven. And I guarantee you, you'll be rewarded handsomely in heaven for how you love on earth because this is a training ground. This is a proving ground that we're walking through right now. How well are we loving? Okay, can you guys all stand? We're going to pray. Father, we love you, and we give you all the, all the glory and honor and praise, and we just thank you that you have called us your children, that you lavish your love upon us, that you will never, ever, ever turn your back on us, that you always are waiting to hug us and to kiss our neck and to, to fall on us and tell us how much you love us and you've missed us and just to uh, lavish your love upon us, that you will never, ever withdraw or withhold your love from us. That this love that is so perfect. That as I'm sitting in your arms. There's no fear. Because that perfect love cast out all fear. And I thank you father that your word went out today. And it touched the hearts that it was supposed to touch. That lives will be changed. Hearts are changed. And that we may walk out this path that you called us to, to walk out. And this path is called love. With the one who is love. And that is Jesus as our guide. So we thank you. We thank you, Holy Spirit. We thank you, Father. We thank you for all that you do in our lives. And I ask, Father, that you would forgive us. Where we failed. Where we haven't been the men and women of God you've called us to be, where we haven't been the, the lovers of man that you've called us to be, where we've been selfish and self-centered. I thank you, Father, that you're so faithful to forgive us, no matter how far we've stumbled and fallen. You're so faithful. We love you, Father, and praise you in Jesus' name.
if uh, anyone wants prayer, I'm going to ask the prayer team to come back up front. So if anyone wants prayer for something, please come forward and uh, receive prayer, please. You guys are dismissed. Thank you. Bless you all.